Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Jason Pash, a member of Madison Teachers Incorporated. Thank you to all of our listeners. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. And I'm Anna Ham, a proud member of the Labor Radio News Collective because I have a nose for news and I like to pick it. Today, we look at opportunities for young workers, including a new scuffle committee and an apprenticeship. We also take a look at a protest during the recent Republican debates in Milwaukee, get ready for Labor Fest 23, and much more. And if you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, IBEW Local 159, had a tent at the Outreach Magic Pride Festival in Madison on Sunday in an effort to spread the word about the need for electricians and the local apprenticeship process for those wanting to enter the trade. Labor Radio spoke to one of their members about the program. I'm Mitchell Johnson. I'm a journeyman electrician with the IBEW 159. That's the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. If somebody wants to become an electrician, what do they need to do? An apprenticeship program is either a three-year or a five-year program. We have a couple different options. The three-year one's voice data video, and the five-year is our full inside wireman program where you're a journeyman electrician at the end. Our apprenticeships are paid on-the-job training with some class time, but when you're in class, you're also receiving your full wage. In order to apply, you can stop by our hall, which is located at 5303 Fen Oak Drive in Madison. You can also find us at ibw159.org. Our electrical apprenticeships, they make the assumption that somebody is starting from zero knowledge, that we're going to train you from the ground up to be an electrician. So you just need to have completed high school, have gotten a C in algebra, be able to physically do the work, and you can start with us right away to be an electrician if that is of interest to you. What is the need right now that you see? It is immense. The average electrical license holder in the United States is age 50. A lot of people are going to be retiring in the near future. And as more and more houses and businesses are becoming increasingly electrified, increasingly smart with new technologies, we need more electricians than even what we have. So we need to do more than just replace. Right now, our local has 1,500 members, and we have 30 or 40 open positions that there's just nobody to take the job. It's similar across the United States and Canada. Is there a type of person that you're looking for? We're here today sponsoring the Outreach Magic Festival, spreading that message that being an electrician is an opportunity for everyone. There's no type of person that I'm going to dissuade from pursuing this opportunity. What kind of jobs could somebody expect to do when they're apprenticing and then once they get their apprenticeship? Well, as an apprentice, you're going to be paired with uh, skilled journey workers that have completed our apprenticeship program. And then that's going to be under a foreman, which is an electrician that's a rank above that, that's directing the job. 
We work on essentially everything that gets electrical power from underground installations for parking lots to hotels to the UW-Madison campus and other campuses, high schools, middle schools, hospitals. We are everywhere and we do every system that's in those buildings from your lighting control, your HVAC control, your power outlets, fire alarm, everything that receives power from the utility grid, we install. What is involved in applying for and getting into the program? Well, once you stop by our hall and fill out the application, you can start as a CW, which is a construction wireman. That's an entry-level position that a lot of people do before the apprenticeship. To apply to the apprenticeship, it is a basic aptitude test that's just reading comprehension and mathematics. And then there is a panel interview with our apprenticeship committee. Based off of your experience, those test exams, and how the committee ranks you is where you are positioned to be accepted into our apprenticeship. Can you tell me a little bit about the IBEW and their role in this apprenticeship program? The IBEW is, I believe, the eighth largest union in the United States. There's 800,000 members, and this is our apprenticeship program in partnership with our local contractors and then Madison College. The union's role is to look out for our members' interests, to collectively bargain, to assure that we all have minimum safety standards on the job site, that we're being compensated adequately. Every single member of IBW is represented and protected by us, and we're the ones that do the training of our members then through Madison College. That was Mitchell Johnson, a member of the IBEW 159. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Labor Radio. I couldn't do that. I'm scared of electrons. The South Central Federation of Labor, or SCUFFLE, has established a Young Workers Committee. Frank Emspach has more. The South Central Federation of Labor has revived its Young Workers Committee. Labor Radio spoke with Izzy Bilak, an organizer for the South Central Federation of Labor, responsible for the Young Workers Committee. We asked Izzy to describe the Young Workers Committee and what it does. So it is a group of under 40-year-old workers. It's basically a space for any under 40-year-old workers who need support on any aspect of their campaign in a union to get those trainings, have discussions, and meet in different subcommittees to kind of seek support around those things. So it's anyone who's either in an existing union or is in a unionization campaign. To be clear, workers do not have to be in a union to join the Young Workers Committee. We've got a lot of folks who are trying to unionize their worksite, and I didn't want to leave them out since, and eventually, the goal is that they have a union. What do workers gain from participation? We are running a lot of trainings for just base, like organizing trainings, how to run a campaign and have it run successfully. We've got a lot of like young workers who are becoming members of unions or trying to unionize their work site who have really well-intentioned goals, but may not have the experience that a lot of our older like union organizer co-workers have who might be retiring or quitting. And so part of it is to try to do trainings and workshops around that. Part of it is to just be a social space to support young workers who are trying to either participate in their locals or form unions. I think it can be really difficult being a like 
new young person entering the workforce and wanting to make change in your worksite and not necessarily knowing where or who you can go to with those sorts of things. So this is kind of a space where you can, you know, see other people uh, who are like-minded, who are your age, and you can actually like talk about those issues, workshop them with each other. And then lastly, part of the goal with it is also to form a network. Izzy summed up the main goals of the Young Workers Committee. The, the main goals are to run trainings for organizing union campaigns, to create a social space for young pro-labor workers to come and find community, and then also to create a network among across union campaigns. So have a network where if you're someone who's heavily targeted at your union campaign. You feel like you can move to another job that might also be union organizing. You don't just have to give up labor organizing because you got fired as a worker that wanted to organize a Starbucks. On Monday, August 28th, the committee is conducting a class, Power Mapping and Strategic Research. What does that class cover? So the goal of the training is to really be able to actually map not only your work site, but like the community around your work site, the community around your company's board of director and CEO and everything. So you can fully understand what strategic points you should you should actually pursue in your campaign. Scuffle revived the Young Workers Committee because of the huge upsurge in unionization. Scuffle expects the training will result in new organization as well as an increased ability of existing unions to represent their members. Thanks to Izzy Bilek for this interview. I'm Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. If you if all you do is wish you could wake up and it not be true, join a union. Fight for On Wednesday in Milwaukee, hundreds rallied in a union organized protest during the Republican Party presidential debates. Greg Jaboski has more. On Wednesday in Milwaukee, Republican Party presidential hopefuls met in a debate. With Donald Trump and his 44% poll lead over his nearest rival conspicuously absent. Some who did show were hundreds of protesters organized largely by the Service Employees International Union, the SEIU, who rallied at Milwaukee's No Studios before a march to the nearby Pfizer Forum. At the rally, Pat Race, SEIU Wisconsin president and a nurse at Madison's Unity Point Health Meritor Hospital gave this reason for being there. But we have workers in Racine, to La Crosse, workers from Monroe to Hamilton, across the state. And no matter where we are, we are demanding that every person, no matter their race, identity, or zip code, have a voice on the job and in our democracy. Michael Elvord, who, like Race, works at Meritor and who is the executive director of SEIU Wisconsin, gave this view of the Republican Party and the importance of that night's action. Workers across Wisconsin, no matter what their race, their identity, their economic standard, are not asking any longer. We are demanding to have a voice 
not only at our job, but in democracy. Today at Pfizer Forum, Republicans who have used their positions to push harmful rhetoric and dangerous platforms will debate the issues that affect us all as workers. Republicans who have sought to take away a woman's right to choose what to do with their bodies. Republicans who have questioned the legitimacy of our democracy and our election results. These are Republicans who have fought tooth and nail to dissolve unions and disenfranchise workers. Congressperson Gwen Moore of Milwaukee, former Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, and Democratic National Committee Chair Jamie Harrison of South Carolina spoke at the event. Also speaking on Wednesday was Jason Saxton, a Starbucks worker from Augusta, Georgia, who had been fired for union organizing there. Labor Radio caught up with Saxton, who told this story of his recent struggle. Literally a year ago, I was fired for leading a march on the boss as well as a two-day strike. That, of course, was not a legal action for them to take. So it took up until June for them to reinstate me, um, and I've been back since then. Saxon explained why he thought it was important to speak in Wisconsin at the scene of the Republican debates. I am out here today to, you know, continue speaking truth to power. You know, I live in a red state, but, you know, these Republicans continue to say that they are the, they are the party for the working class people. But as far as I've known, I'm 34. As far as I've known and as far as I've seen, they haven't been for the working class in a really long time. Um, and, you know, I just want to keep making sure that message gets out there so that way we can continue to elect people who are going to actually fight for the working class. And fighting for the working class means fighting for people to be able to join and organize within a union. After the rally, hundreds braved the 90-degree heat and marched through the streets of Milwaukee to the Pfizer Forum, where Republicans who arrived for the debates were greeted with a union demonstration. Anthal Farrar, a board member of SEIU Wisconsin, was pleased with the night's action. Feel great about it. We just wanted to get out there and let the uh, GOP know, or the GOP followers know, it's really, we all want family. We just want the best for everyone. And we need the GOP to remember the Constitution, which says, they work for the people. They are in place for the people. That was Anthal Ferrara of SEIU, Wisconsin, speaking Wednesday following a rally, march, and protest of the GOP presidential debates held in Milwaukee. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski. Preparations for Labor Day are underway, and Carol Weidel has the story. In 10 days, the community can celebrate Labor Day at the Madison Labor Temple, starting at noon. There will be food, music, and events for the kids are back. Listeners can get ready for the special Labor Day collection for students who are homeless. Gift cards of all types are needed. Anne McNeary described how events will unfold and how the community can help. Anne, could you say a little bit about what kind of gift cards you have and what their purpose is? The purpose is for students who are in the Madison Metropolitan School District who are in the Transition Education Program. And that serves students who are either homeless or housing insecure and their families. And so what we're looking for are gift cards for any number of places, um, grocery stores, gas stations, restaurants, St. Vinny's, Goodwill, anything like that would be greatly appreciated. If you're able to do a $25 card value, that would be awesome. Um, that kind of works best for the families and um, enough money, but 
in a way, not too much, if that makes sense. We also are collecting other items. There are some people who just like to shop. And so things like small bottles of laundry soap, flashcards, which is my personal favorite, deodorant, hand and body lotion, hair products, all that sort of stuff. So really almost anything you can think of that you would want to start school year and make sure that everyone has the best experience possible. $25 cards is your preferred value. And you also accept all those items that you just described, correct? Yes, correct. Um, anything would be greatly appreciated. So if 25 is too much, if you want to do a $10, that is fine. We will accept all donations. We will have a table um, at Labor Fest. And so it should be easy to find us and um, just drop stuff off and then enjoy the festivities of the day. Oh, great. Got a, a table. That's that's so easy. You don't have to be hunted down to, to make your donation. Just on a broader uh, celebratory thing, uh, in addition to the periodicals and VO5, there's going to be uh, the usual food, right? Um, usual food and the kids' events are back. Um, they did stop those during um, the peak COVID times, but those are back. So if people want to bring kids, there will be stuff for them to do also. Certainly enjoying the bands and, and that is, is fine, but to have those back is a, a good thing. I believe there'll be face painting and um, balloons, stuff like that. And certainly all are welcome to join us. Okay. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun and that's about 10 days away. Thanks a lot, Anne. I appreciate your being available. Thank you very much. And certainly invite everybody to attend Labor Fest 23. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. A protest against an oil pipeline that runs through northern Wisconsin included labor voices. Greg Jaboski reports. Shut down line fire! Shut down line fire! Shut down line fire! On Saturday, a lively crowd of young people and community supporters gathered at Madison's Capitol Square during the busy weekly farmer's market with the demand for the state's Department of Natural Resources, the DNR. Shut down Line 5, the oil pipeline that in part runs through northern Wisconsin. Marco Marquez is the Milwaukee-based Wisconsin State Director for the national organization Action for the Climate Emergency, or ACE, which, according to Marquez, trains high school and college students for environmental activism such as Saturday's action. We want the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources to shut down the Line 5 pipeline. Line 5 pumps 22.6 million gallons of oil through our state every single day. And it also goes underwater through Lake Huron and Lake Michigan. And it goes through Native American land. It goes through the Bad River Band of Greater Chippewa Indians. It goes through their land. This pipeline has spilled multiple times over its 70-year lifetime. And Enbridge, the company responsible, was responsible for the largest oil, inland oil spill in U.S. history, which happened in Kalamazoo, Michigan in 2010. We don't want Wisconsin to be next. We want to protect our Great Lakes, we want to protect our Native Americans, and we want to protect our future and make sure that our young people have a future to, to look forward to. Also in the crowd were labor representatives supporting the young people's demands. Barbara Smith, a member of the Wisconsin Professional Employees Council, AFP Local 4848, explained why she thinks stopping Line 5 is important for working people. Uh, we need clean water, we need clean air to breathe, and 
uh, workers demand a say in our living and working conditions. Willie Vacus is the treasurer of 350 Wisconsin, a board member of the Wisconsin Alliance for Retired Americans, a scuffle delegate, and a member of AFSCME UW Hospital and Clinics Local 1942. Vacus wants action right now. We've seen tremendous indicators of how climate change is affecting us this summer with incredible record heat down south. A lot of smoke in Wisconsin and the upper Midwest and even Wingland. Unprecedented Canadian wildfires. Some kind of climate action is desperately needed, and we're going to need labor to build it out. Vacus explains why moving toward an economy that addresses the climate crisis would be good for union workers. Labor is going to be doing the infrastructure for decarbonizing our economy and electrifying as much as we can to construct all of this infrastructure. When asked what interested union members can do to address the climate crisis, Smith explained how some public workers are organizing pension reform. There's an effort called Climate Safe Pensions, which is approaching the Wisconsin Retirement System and other groups to call on them to change their investment practices away from risky fossil fuel investments. So that's one thing that you can do. That was Barbara Smith of AFT Local 4848. The organization she mentioned is at climatesafepensions.org. Chanting and carrying banners, a group of about 50 marched around the Capitol building to the entrance to the DNR offices on South Webster Street, where four young people spoke, demanding the shutdown of Line 5. For more information on the organizations involved in Saturday's action, or for young listeners who want to get involved with them, the web address for ACE is acespace.org. That's A-C-E-S-P-A-C-E.org. And locally, the Dane County Youth Environmental Committee is at dcyec.org. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski. Earlier today, the National Labor Relations Board announced a new precedent related to union elections. Labor Radio has more. Today, the National Labor Relations Board issued a decision in Semex Construction Materials Specific, LLC, announcing a new framework for determining when employers are required to bargain with unions without a representation election. Under the previous status quo established in 1969 with NLRB versus Giselle Packing Company, the board's decision to issue a bargaining order hinged upon whether the board determined that unfair labor practices during previous elections made a fair election in the future impossible. Under the new framework, the NLRB expands the application of bargaining orders offered by Giselle to all cases where unfair labor practices result in a union election being set aside. While employers are still allowed to petition for secret ballot elections under the CEMEX standard, rather than rerunning elections that have been set aside due to unfair labor practice, the employer's petition will be dismissed and the board will order the employer to recognize and bargain with the union. The new precedent under CEMEX still differs from the historical Joy Silk standard, which required an employer to bargain with a union unless it had a good faith doubt of the union's majority status, although it does represent a significantly less speculative remedy than the one offered by Giselle. NLRB Chairman Lauren McFerrin said in relation to the case, quote, Today's decision will strengthen the board's ability to provide workers across the country with a timely and fair process for seeking union representation. The CEMEX decision reaffirms that elections are not the only appropriate path for seeking union representation, while also ensuring that, when elections take place, they occur in a fair election environment. Under CEMEX, 
An employer is free to use the board's election procedure, but it is never free to abuse it. It's as simple as that. End quote. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Sean Hagerup. A report of tax evasion by a local drywall business has many criminal elements. Carol Weidel has the story. Judge William Conley of the Western District Court for Wisconsin sentenced Gustavo Reyes to 18 months in prison for tax evasion. Jeff Richgills reported in the Wisconsin State Journal that an Internal Revenue Service audit of Reyes' income revealed unpaid taxes from 2013 to 2020. He significantly underreported income from the business he owned and operated. The charges resulted from an investigation conducted by IRS Criminal Investigation and the Wisconsin Department of Workforce Development. Reyes worked with others on drywall businesses. The IRS filed tax liens in an attempt to collect the taxes. He avoided the liens and the levies by operating with large amounts of cash collected by cashing checks at establishments around the Madison area. Emily Preitzgau of the Wisconsin Building Trades Council said that Reyes' sentencing, quote, underscores the critical importance of collaboration between labor, industry, and law enforcement in upholding the, the principles of a responsible construction sector. This outcome demonstrates the impact of collective efforts to expose and eliminate exploitative practices and undermine the well-being of workers and the credibility of our industry, unquote. Stolen wages and unpaid taxes led to criminal penalties for this employer. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. With only 20 days remaining before expiration of a contract governing 150,000 members of the United Auto Workers, locals are gearing up for action. Labor Radio has the story. 150,000 United Auto Workers members at the nation's big three automakers authorize the union to call a strike against the companies when their contracts expire on September 14th with, quote, near universal approval, the union said today. The United Auto Workers reported that final votes are still being tabulated, but that the combined average across Stellantis, General Motors, and Ford was 97% in favor of strike authorization. Official negotiations between the union and major motor companies have been ongoing since mid-July. Currently included in the union's demands for a new contract are a 46% wage increase over four years, rolling over all current supplemental employees to full-time, cost of living adjustments, defined benefit pensions and retiree health care for all, increases to retiree benefits, the right to strike over plant closures, and more paid time off. The union is also calling for the end of a two-tiered wage system that pays new hires significantly less than tenured employees for equivalent work. On the vote, UAW President Sean Fain had this to say in a statement released by the union, quote, Our union's membership is clearly fed up with living paycheck to paycheck while the corporate elite and billionaire class continue to make out like bandits. The big three have been breaking the bank while we have been breaking our backs, end quote. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Sean Hagerup. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Jason Pash. Thanks to editors Frank Imspak, Assistant Robin G, reporters Greg Jaboski, Sean Hagerup, Anna Hom, Janine Ramsey, 
Carol Weidel, and Damage Control Specialist Joanne Powers. Special thanks to Keith Steffen, our reader coordinator, web poster Anyu Lee, and to all our readers and the members of IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Anna Ham. We'd also like to thank all of the generous generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Now stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts and the Professor Bill Clark. <laughs>